Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When firefighters found an entire family dead inside their home, it looked like a murder-suicide. But there were several inconsistent clues in the rubble. Could ballistics, a time card, and some secret audio tapes unravel the mystery? Just before daybreak on August 29, 1994, firefighters in Vinton, Virginia, were called to a house fire on Virginia Avenue. When the fire was extinguished, rescuers found the bodies of all four members of the Hodges family. 41-year-old Blaine Hodges, his 37-year-old wife, Teresa, and their two daughters, 11-year-old Winter and 3-year-old Anna. I think it's hard enough to lose one family member, but once you lose four, the numbness and the grief that, that comes over you is unbearable. Teresa Hodges was on the sofa downstairs. She had been strangled to death. An empty diesel fuel can lay nearby. Upstairs, the two little girls were in bed. Both had been shot to death. Blaine Hodges was dead from a gunshot wound in the master bedroom. A 22 caliber pistol was on the floor by his side. It looked like Blaine Hodges had killed his wife and two young daughters and then set the home on fire and got in bed and killed himself. Blaine Hodges had recently had some difficult times. He had been fired from his job at the post office for allegedly stealing $4,600. He had been convicted of an embezzlement charge and was on the verge of going off to jail for a short period of time. So when he found that out, that would fit into the motivating factor that he maybe wanted to uh, kill his family and take his own life. Blaine was about to begin serving a six-month prison sentence for that crime. He had also been ordered to make restitution of $9,200, a sum he apparently did not have. Was it possible that the prospect of jail and the large financial payment caused Hodges to snap? At the autopsy, the medical examiner, Dr. William Masello, made a startling discovery. Blaine Hodges didn't have any soot in his lungs or breathing passages, which would have been present had he set the fire before killing himself. And Blaine's body revealed even more telling information. Mr. Hodges showed signs of what we call decay, which were more consistent with his having been dead for many, many hours or even days. Uh, when compared to the others. And I thought at first that he was just pulling my leg because I'd known him so long. 
Then when he said, Barry, said, I'm serious. There was no way Blaine Hodges could have killed his family if he was already dead. That would be apparent to anybody that has eyesight. That forensic determination from the, uh, the autopsy enabled the police to know we don't have a murder-suicide. You know, the girls couldn't have shot themselves through the head twice. Teresa could not have strangled herself and set herself on fire. In order to buy time, police did not reveal any of these forensic details to the media or to family members. They had stated that there had been a fire and that they had died in the fire. And that was all, basically, it was just that we, we didn't know very much at this point in time. Police hoped this minor deception would give them time to find the real killer. Police were investigating a suspicious house fire that at first appeared to be a murder-suicide. The forensic evidence revealed someone from outside the home murdered all four members of the Hodges family before setting the fire. The evidence also revealed that Teresa Hodges had struggled with the killer. Patches of her hair were still on the staircase. The fire had started near her body. Since Teresa's stepbrother had problems with the law, police wondered whether the crime was some sort of payback. The reason that they got the idea from that is because one of her father's children from a separate marriage, who Teresa was not raised with, he happened to be in prison and he was an ex-DEA informant. So that, that is a very, that's, that's where the drug relation came into play. And police had another lead. An elderly woman reported seeing a red pickup truck leaving the Hodges driveway shortly before the fire. Police interviewed all of the Hodges' relatives, as well as the man who spent more time at the Hodges' home than anyone else, Blaine's best friend and former high school track coach, Earl Bramblett. Everyone that the police came in contact with said, if you want to know what's going on in that house or what has gone on in that house, go find Earl Bramblett. He is the closest friend of the family. He is always over there. He is always doing things with Blaine. Bramblett told police that he went fishing with the Hodges the day before the fire and that he had no idea who would have wanted to harm the family. But Bramblett said something revealing about Blaine Hodges during the interrogation. Called him a SOB and said, Miss R. SOB had a beautiful family. He did them and did himself. Newspapers reported only that the family died in a house fire and said nothing about a murder suicide. When he said that suspicion turned. A background check revealed that Bramblett had previous brushes with the law. In 1977, he had been a suspect in the disappearance of two Roanoke girls whose bodies had never been found. He was also accused of molesting a young girl in 1984. With a warrant, police searched Bramblett's home, which was nothing more than a room in a nearby motel. Inside, they found numerous crime novels and textbooks. 
he had one book in his possession just about forensic science and the techniques used by forensic science you know, to do different things. Police also found a detective magazine featuring an article about a murder committed with a pistol with no barrel. Coincidentally, the gun found next to Blaine Hodge's body had no barrel. Bramblett owned a pickup truck, but it was white, not red, like the one seen leaving the Hodges' driveway. But in the back of Bramblett's truck were several 22 caliber cartridge shells. Police then visited Bramblett's employer to see if he was at work on the day of the murders. On Bramblett's time card for that day, one of the entries had been blacked out. And police found a pair of Bramblett's blue jeans soaking in a back room sink. Could forensic scientists tell whether any of these items were somehow related to the murders? And if Bramblett was involved, what was his motive? Forensic scientists at the Western Virginia Crime Lab analyzed the items recovered from their prime suspect's home. Using a process known as the charcoal tube method, arson investigator Tom Simpson placed samples of Earl Bramblett's stained blue jeans in a can and then heated it. The vapors were trapped in a tube filled with charcoal. Then, fed into a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer, a device that can analyze the precise chemical composition of a stain. Even though Bramblett's genes had been submerged in water, Simpson discovered the stains were diesel fuel, the same accelerant used to start the Hodges fire. The blacked-out entry on Bramblett's time card presented another challenge. Forensic documents examiner Gordon Menzies used a video spectral comparator with various light sources in an attempt to see underneath the black ink. Slowly, the information came into view. I was able to come up with an, an original entry that was 5.08 M, which would have been 5 in the morning on Monday, according to what I understand about Bruco's time clock. 5.08 in the morning was only 20 minutes after neighbors reported the fire at the Hodges' home. Coincidentally, Bramblett's workplace was only a 20-minute drive from the Hodges' home. And there was no doubt about whose writing was on the time card. Yes, I concluded that the handwriting was also Earl Bramblett's. One of the first things you notice with Bramblett's handwriting is a very outsized lowercase k. It almost looks like a capital R. Forensic handwriting analysis also solved another mystery. In the dumpster behind Bramblett's workplace, police found a page torn from a desk blotter with some unusual drawings. Drawing of stick figures with arrows pointing to the head and little flames drawn around the body of somebody that looked like laying on a couch. 
police believe the arrows represent gunshots. The circle around the neck represents the strangulation. Once again, this was information only the killer would know since it hadn't been released to the public. The handwriting at the bottom of the page was consistent with Bramblett's known handwriting samples. Firearms expert Van Roberts compared the bullets from the murder victims to the gun found next to Blaine Hodge's body. Even though the gun had no barrel, it still had its firing pin. Under a comparison microscope, you can see the unique marks made on the shells from the gun's firing pin. The firing pin marks from the gun at the crime scene matched the spent casings found in Bramblett's truck and the casings found in the Hodges' home. The FBI conducted an elemental analysis on the bullet fragments removed from the bodies. This analysis proved that the bullets from the victims' bodies were made from the same batch of molten metal as the unused bullets found in the home of Earl Bramblett. But one thing troubled investigators. Why did the witness identify a red pickup truck leaving the Hodges' driveway around the time of the fire? This is what a white pickup truck looks like under the sodium vapor lighting near the Hodges' home. It makes the white truck look like a red truck. The forensic evidence tied Earl Bramblett to the murders. But it was Bramblett himself who unwittingly revealed the motive. In Bramblett's trash, Police found a late notice for a storage locker rental near his home. Ironically, the name of the place was Winter's Mini Storage, spelled the same way as Winter Hodges' name. Inside were boxes and boxes of audio tapes. What he said about 11-year-old Winter Hodges was chilling. She wants to get me excited, and she knows how to do it. It was very damaging to Mr. Bramlin as far as what his motivation factors were with little Winter. The pedophilia implications that he had towards her. And I won't discuss that garbage here. nearly two years of investigation, Roanoke County prosecutors finally had enough evidence to arrest Earl Bramblett for the murder of the Hodges family. I think we had basically everything we needed after about a year and a half to a year and eight months. Earl Bramblett was ready too. I just want this to be fast. Let's get to a trial. That was one of the few times Bramblett ever spoke in court. But jurors heard his voice many times on the audio tapes. At one point, Bramblett said he feared Blaine Hodges was out to get him. Blaine is trying to buy his damn ass out of jail by using his daughter as some kind of sexual enticement toward me. 
His focus when you listen to those tapes was that the family was trying to use the oldest daughter as sexual bait to entrap him in a situation so he could be prosecuted for that and that would somehow get um, Blaine Hodges out of trouble. Leach says Blaine Hodges never tried to reduce his prison term on the embezzlement conviction by trying to entrap Bramblett. Leach believes it was all a figment of Bramblett's imagination. Quite frankly, his paranoia fed that to the point that, that I think that's a factor, in, a, a huge factor in why he committed the crime. On the day of the murders, Earl Bramblett had plans to go fishing with the Hodges family. He probably used some ruse to speak with Blaine alone inside the house and then shot Blaine to make it look like suicide. Bramblett then went outside telling Teresa and the girls that Blaine had decided to stay home to do some chores instead, so Bramblett took them fishing alone. A park ranger said he saw Bramblett, Teresa, and the two girls at the lake that day. When they returned home, Bramblett may have wanted Teresa or one of the girls to discover Blaine's body, confirming it as a suicide rather than murder. Something went wrong. Teresa may have found Blaine's body and believed it was murder, not suicide. As she came downstairs, a struggle ensued on the staircase where Teresa's hair was left on the railing. Bramblett strangled Teresa to death. He then went upstairs, retrieved the gun, went into the children's room and shot them to death. Bramblett removed the barrel of the pistol before planting it to complicate ballistic testing. But it raised serious doubts that a man would commit suicide with a pistol with no barrel. Bramblett returned to the Hodges' home later with diesel fuel. He poured the diesel fuel downstairs to start the house fire, but it didn't burn the house enough to prevent forensic analysis. Had Earl Bramblett been as good an arsonist as he was a killer, we would never have prosecuted him. Bramblett then drove to work, where he made a number of mistakes. He punched the time clock, either from force of habit or greed, so that he'd be paid for coming in early. It placed him in the vicinity of the Hodges' home around the time the fire was reported. Bramblett tried to remove the diesel fuel stains from his blue jeans by soaking them in water. But forensic testing easily identified them. Bramblett unwittingly revealed his complicity by drawing the injuries on stick figures on a piece of paper at work. Later, matched to Bramblett by handwriting analysis. In addition to the forensic evidence, prosecutors also had Bramblett's audio tapes. Now, this, is, this tape is pretty impressive from the first five. If you deal with the truth, then there is not a whole lot that you have to be afraid of. Anytime you can get words coming from a defendant's mouth, uh, and they are about the subject of the crime, and here they were about the, the Hodges family, it, it can be extremely important. I think that was very effective with the jury. It took the jury 
carry about one hour to convict Earl Bramblett of capital murder. Bramblett was sentenced to death. He was executed on April 9th, 2003, in Virginia's electric chair. I've heard several people make the statement that if they're murdered, they won't bury Cassie on the case because he won't stop until the case is solved. He's like Columbo on TV. He just, he's a hound dog, a bulldog. Had it not been for forensic science, we would not be here today talking about Earl Bramlett being convicted and executed for killing the Hodges family. It's just that simple. Forensics, forensics, everywhere you look, every avenue you look in this case, forensics, forensics. But in this case, it is the forensic files. No doubt about it.